You are listening to Mark Hatmaker Rough and Tumble Raconteur. This is a grab bag of old school Western martial arts, resurrected indigenous ways and empirical musings tinged with a heavy dose of respect, admiration, let's call it hero worship, for these hosses of yore. Crew, this is Mark Hatmaker coming to you from the Command Sharia. Today's topic, we're going to discuss some myths of self-defense. Amongst those, we'll be talking about patterned response myths, the myths of uh, women's self-defense, a few other things. Sit back, buckle up, here we go. Now we know, we humans do, we love our, uh, we love answers, and we love easy answers at that. We love uh, you know, seven steps to this or that, ten ways to become rich and famous, fat-burning pills, haircuts that make us look irresistible to the opposite sex. To be frank, we have a seemingly infinite capacity for uncritically accepting any claim as long as the claim tells us what we want to hear. Well, I could lie to you and tell you in the spirit of blowing smoke up your fundament that everything uh, that we offer in our own black box uh, material uh, is going to work like a charm immediately, and you will be unstoppable and bulletproof and, you know, live forever. Well, that would be a lie. Now, perhaps if this were a subject of little importance, that is self-defense, self-protection, that attack would be acceptable. No, No, it wouldn't be. You know, taking people for a dishonest ride is never acceptable. The subject at hand, though, when it comes to self-defense, well, the subject at hand is you. It's your life. It's far too precious to deliver false promises or disingenuous guarantees. We need to approach all serious subjects, and your life is a serious subject, with clear eyes and a lucid mind. So, before we get to the meat of what's going further, but the meat of physical self-defense material, well, a lot of this stuff, black box included, just may not work for you, all right? Now, don't get me wrong. The material that we use has been proven demonstrably effective, be absolutely useful in utility in a variety of stress-related scenarios. But given the chaotic nature of an actual assault, well, it just may not work. That's just being honest. Your best bets will always be prevention, Awareness, running, and or armed response, and armed also refers to our greatly expanded definition of what arms means. If you can look at our black box and no second chance material, you see uh, you are never unarmed by uh, the way we see things. What we do provide in the technique section of our material is our highest percentage ideas for the most common situations. I can offer you not much more guarantee than that. You have my sincerest apologies. Now that I've encouraged you to have a jaundiced eye for what I talk about, what we advocate, uh, allow me to poke holes in other specious claims in the realm of personal protection. Many will tell you, and I am one of those who will say the same thing, that the more you practice a skill, the more you ingrain it in your nervous system, the more likely it will manifest itself when needed. Now, this is an acceptable statement backed up by good studies in the area of learning theory. What this does not take into account, though, is learned reactions will always be second nature. First nature will be rooted in your primal fight or flight physiology. In other words, no matter how much we train a physical response, it just may not present itself in high-stress situations. Think about that. Now, we were all aware of this, of this effect in low-pressure situations. I mean, think about it. If we don't respond well in low-pressure with something we've trained, how do we think it's going to happen whenever the, the stakes are higher? Think about a uh, time you had a well-rehearsed speech. It becomes a bit less polished before a group of people. Or the highly trained athlete uh, choking in the midst of competition. The seemingly polite individual who forgets all etiquette when presented with what they consider bad service at a restaurant. The older, more primal portions of the brain hold sway more often than not 
on over our inculcated desirable responses. If it is possible for us to perform at less than optimum, even after preparation in the face of such mundane, non-threatening stressors, what do you think happens to the human being when taken completely by surprise and faced with true threat? Let me use an example a bit closer to the subject at hand. Professional boxers are individuals who have most likely spent the majority of their lives learning to throw perfect punches. They have honed this sport of reflex day in, day out, over the course of their amateur and pro careers. Anyone who is a longtime boxing fan and has had the opportunity to witness a few bad blood incidences uh, outside of the ring notice something a little different. There are occasionally post-fight or weigh-in punches thrown, or some of us recall former champion Larry Holmes in a post-fight parking lot scuffle that was caught on tape. What is remarkable about these altercations is that these elite athletes who have made it their business to throw both powerful and accurate punches uh, in a martial art with great transfers to street situations, they've learned to throw these under stress conditions. Think about this. Competitive event in front of a crowd coupled with the threat of injury, that qualifies as a stress situation. And more often than not, whenever they're outside these ring situations, they start wailing away with uh, nothing even remotely resembling the sport they devoted their lives to. You'll see wild haymakers that wouldn't cut a career as an amateur, and you'll see clumsy grappling scuffles, and in the case of Larry Holmes, former heavyweight champion of the world, even a jumping kick launched from the hood of a parked car. So if these elite athletes with skills that transfer to self-defense beautifully see such marked entropy under the duress of ego scuffling, and you know, that, by that we mean not life or death stakes, where does that leave the everyday individual? Where does that leave me and you? I mean, hopefully it leaves us with a greater respect for prevention, awareness, escape, and the world as your arsenal concept. Hopefully it also gives you good cause to keep an eyebrow cocked any and every time you're presented with foolproof moves. There's no such thing. Complicated responses. I mean, these just will not be accessed under stress, folks. Or crypto babble about short-circuiting the body's natural responses. Again, a dubious if not dangerous claim. Just as we use the knowledge of uh, just what predators are capable to do to better inform our decisions, we can likewise use this awareness of what learned responses are likely to do under stress to better inform us just to what techniques are and are not for us. Now, in this spirit of turning over rocks and looking at unpleasant things, here's something else we need to disavow. Women's self-defense courses. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. Women can and perhaps should engage in self-defense courses. And, and uh, if the course happens to be taught by a female and is comprised entirely of females, well, that's one thing. But if we are talking about separate, special courses for women uh, in, the, uh, in the women prefer Virginia Slim's condescension sense, well, that's something else altogether. Survival skills are gender neutral. Survival skills are not age bias. Jabbing an attacker's eyes with your fingers is not reserved for males or for females alone. This women's self-defense is separate view seems to be rooted in the condescending assumption that men can handle themselves and women need help. This assumption might be true for speaking of street scuffles. Men are far, far more likely to engage in these ego-driven altercations than women, but we know that this is a group we have no interest in addressing. I care nothing about these frat boy scuffles, nothing at all. Women's self-defense also seems to be predicated on the, well, they need it more because they're smaller and not as strong rationale. In general, this statement about size and strength might be true for many women, but we also know that predators select victims, male, female alike, that they feel they can control, be that man, woman, or child. Again, the lion does not single out the swiftest or the strongest or the hyper-aware gazelle. The lion sets its sights on the weak, the slow, the inattentive. This, these are attributes that exist for both genders and for all of us at different stages of our lives. 
Now, I've got news for you. Men can be weak, slow, and inattentive. We see it every day and all the time. If we've been selected as prey, we don't need separate strategies and tactics for the sexes. We just need to react, period. That's it. Now, here's another concept to uh, cock an eyebrow at. Martial arts is an assault survival tool. Practicing martial arts is great. Absolutely great for many reasons. Exercise, competition, goal-driven accomplishment, and this may be a smidgen of survival skills, but we've already seen that professional boxers experience entropy in their martial skills in the face of unexpected conflict. Assuming that a martial arts self-defense course is the remedy may not be the wisest of assumptions. Keep in mind these caveats are all coming from a guy who makes his living doing this. I, I count on people saying, yeah, I want to pay for this and I want to up my game. Great, good. That's what we're doing. We're paying for that smidgen uh, of, of overlay that stays with us. We're paying for that snowball's chance right there. Now, uh, martial arts courses are often rooted in formality. Predicted choices that bear little resemblance to the chaos or mayhem that they claim to be preparing one for. Many are constructed in a, well, if they do that, you do this pattern. This seldom takes into account situational and environmental variables. I mean, we know terrain, clothing, relative positions, etc. Static column response drilling bears little relationship to the real world is more than likely a waste of your time. If we do experience any success in our physical training, we need to call to mind the following two axioms. The first is from boxing, is how you train, is how you will fight. Uh, you train If you train in a sterile, static, predictable call-and-response fashion, well, then that's uh, where your skills will best present themselves. It requires that environment to manifest. I have yet to hear of a sterile, static predator who mentions his attack before execution. The second axiom comes to us from special warfare training. Now, let your training conditions be reflective of the battlefield. Now, what both of these axioms are getting at is that if we are to construct even a moderately successful physical survival system that we must emulate as closely as possible the situations we might find ourselves in. In that light, uh, I, present, I present the uh, following suggestions. These are all called from a drilling unit we have called the Outer Limits. Now, the Outer Limits is an exhaustive series of parameters that we use to modify training conditions across many modalities as we can to manipulate environment, disorientation, artificial sensory deprivation, artificial handicapping, temporal manipulations, the like. The Outer Limits drills, uh, we did, originally did uh, uh, three volumes of these with uh, Palinum. We did 60-plus drills on there. Right now, our drill set runs to about 138 as you keep adding to them because it can take any arsenal that you have. It doesn't have to be the black box arsenal. And you field test your own material through it. You run your own arsenals to see what manifests and shakes out in the mix. And that might be your smidgen that you need to go to. I mean, I hardly recommend uh, that any individual, any combatant, and perhaps the serious survival skills enthusiast will experience these outer limits drill sets. The average individual need not plunge into all the drills, you know, the 60-plus on that on the original Paladin version or the 138 we just discussed. It will be enough to run perhaps three weeks or so of mental cognitive exercises We've uh, uh, to make sure you, you kind of see what shakes out for yourself. Um, now, the following examples do provide a, like a rough template of how to apply some of the Outer Limits concepts to your, to your uh, a short course of it. Optimally, you will see that these Outer Limits drills in the final week, the physical training, and you really start to shake out and kind of cull down in a Darwinian evolutionary sense. Now, we must train in a variety of clothing. This is what we actually wear on a day-to-day -day basis, not simply the gear we don't mind getting sweaty. This includes footwear as well. You wear heels sometimes, we'll train in them. Do you wear a necktie occasionally? We'll train in one sometimes to get the feel of how you will react if when that fashion accessory is used to jerk you around. Now, we must uh, put all response through a variety of postures and positions. Don't just work a movement standing stock still. Move it around. Work to the left side, right side, leaning against a wall, squatting the floor, sitting a chair, lying on the floor, 
working from a confined space. Put each single response through a variety of environments to truly provide the brain with a been there, done that pattern that may make access to the arsenal a bit more likely. I mean, just a small smidge and change in how we respond uh, uh, to, to a stimuli we've pl- worked with often makes this go away. This is a task saturation, a tunneling effect. Now, you got to vary your terrain, work on an incline with obstacles in the floor, tie your shoelaces together, hell, work on rollerblades, do anything you can to provide yourself with chaos to give yourself that snowball's chance of seeding the material across the widest stress horizon we can envision. Now, most of the suggestions thus far, for most people, uh, we, everyone finds these entertaining to play with. Their outer limits drills are an absolute blast. Now, this last suggestion is the one that many bulk at. We do this in seminars. We can do everything in seminars, and people go, they get really antsy about this. But this is of vital importance. You must also take steps to provide a, uh, a simulation of the verbal an emotional environment you might encounter. In other words, if you're working with training partners, I highly recommend that you give each other permission. Let me change that to, I urge you, don't recommend, I urge you to scream, shout, threaten, use profanity, be, be vile. What? You gotta do whatever you can to execute this mock attack and make it feel real. Now this area of verbal abuse is far too often neglected because it feels a bit indecorous to our civilized instincts. And that's for good reason. Civilized human beings simply do not behave this way with one another. But this is exactly why I suggest you do it. I mean, actually, I insist that you do it and you include this aspect in your training. You must inoculate yourself to some degree to the type of enemy you, you may hear. Now, for some reason, this use or abusive language is the sticking point for some. I mean, think about this. Some people have no problem with someone pretending to physically harm them. We're talking violence. But find someone pretending to say angry or rude thing to them is beyond the pale. Now, I ask you to put aside this sensitivity for your own good and take it for what it is, mere words that are during a training exercise to prepare you to save your life or that of a loved one. If there are any in your group who you're training with, assuming this is a group training situation, of course, that find that certain topics or subjects cannot be broached in this verbal role play, well, it might be best to discuss perhaps maybe some limits and ground rules ahead of time, at least get someone some steps towards this uh, aspect of the training. There needs to be some in there, and the more vile and off the chain it is, the better uh, the better off we are. And I'm not saying this is all the time. I'm talking about only within the context of the drills. We're not talking like, you know, sucker punching whenever drill's over and someone's gone to the bathroom, unless that's part of the drill for that day. And again, that kind of thing is in and outer limits. But as long as we understand the difference. And again, it is still an artificial construct. It's not the same thing as a stranger walking up and then hitting you with some verbal abuse. But you need to be prepared to hear it. Now, another tenet of learning theory shows us that new skills are invariably tied to the environment in which they were learned. It's for this reason that I am harping on authenticity and training. And I'm going to use yet another metaphor to emphasize the importance of the specificity of training. Now, most of us have probably some experience with taking a foreign language in high school or college. I mean, we all start out speaking with that halting, stumbling cadence that are expected the language novice. At some point, those who have studied the language well and did well begin to carry on rudimentary, grammatically correct conversations along the lines of the pen that is mine is on the desk that is in the library, which I'm sure comes up often in the in world travel. Now, as our competency improves, our grades improve, and we see the commensurate rise in fluency. But think back to the first time you had your little linguistic bubble burst, the first time you actually made a visit to the nation of your chosen second language or encountered true full-blown native fluency. 
where you were actually in face-to-face -face conversation with individuals who never inquired into the whereabouts of your pen. This is a bit of an awakening. This awakening does not mean that your knowledge was for naught, but it does imply that perhaps more time should be given to immersion and actual environments and or scenarios that are more reflective of the language and its uses as it exists in the real world. Now, with all this in mind, we will construct our physical survival skills education in the following manner. One, we will introduce individual techniques or ideal responses in a static, low-key manner. That's akin to learning vocabulary recitation in language class. And you repeat the words over and over. Two, we will drill the tactic in question in a repetitive manner akin to writing endless mundane sentences in language education. Three, we will then blend or chain one technique or response or tactic to another in effect creating our own sentences, many conversations. Uh, Prearranged, but uh, make sure these is as realistic in the conversation as possible. Let's leave all talks with the pens in the libraries uh, to the classroom. Four, we gradually apply more pressure, more force from the attacker, alter the environment of verbal pressure, vary the attack stimulus, which can be likened to taking the subject, uh, the student, on a field trip to a foreign market, for example. And five, at the top end of the curriculum, the attack is unannounced and the forces across all modes uh, are, are as high as the parameters allowed for for the student. It's the equivalent of uh, you know, airdropping uh, the French language student in the middle of, of Paris and saying, bon chance. Now, this sort of tiered preparation aligned with the realities of learning theory and the pragmatics of conflict chaos will up your snowball's odds of surviving hell. Now, if we ignore specificity, if we stay with sterile or complex training because it is more comforting or alluring or just simply easier, we're committing to the grievous sin of ignorance in the truest sense. Now, lack of knowledge is not a sin or a flaw. Lack of knowledge is merely a dearth of education in a given area. Ignorance, on the other hand, is exactly what the root of the word implies. You've been exposed to the facts, but you have chosen to ignore them. Now, I sincerely hope that you will err on the side of the facts and pursue your physical tactics in the manner described. Now, I will link to that Outer Limits program uh, in, the, uh, in the show notes here. But beyond that, it's, uh, hopefully this is food for thought and get our minds. If our eye is on just the artistic aspects of things, that's fine. The sportive aspect, that's, that's something else altogether as well. But if we're talking true self-defense, true preparation, if we give any lip service to that and uh, we're making any of these errors, well, hopefully this will provide some course correction. Take care of yourself, crew. Well, if you dig what we just discussed today, uh, I'd like to invite you to like and subscribe to the podcast. Hell, support it if you want. I'm not your dad. Do what you want. And if you're a glutton for punishment, uh, just visit our website, extremeselfprotection.com. You'll find links to the blog, all of our products, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more pages of like musics. <laughs>